Midtown Detroit studios of WDET. This is Detroit Today. Do you know how much you're being watched? Our modern lives with all the conveniences of technology and connectivity also come with an awful lot of surveillance. And it's not mostly government. Our neighbors have cameras on their houses. Businesses have cameras in their stores. We'll talk with WDET's Laura Herberg about a new podcast, Tracked and Trace, which takes a look at our surveilled lives. And then we'll talk about Project Greenlight, massive anti-crime surveillance effort in Detroit. That's next on Detroit Today. But first, the news from NPR. WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. So there was a time when we weren't constantly being watched. Do you remember it? When surveillance cameras weren't outside of so many homes and inside so many businesses and restaurants and schools. But these days, It's hard to think of almost anywhere outside our own homes where there aren't eyes on us recording what we're doing. And it's not just organizations that have these eyes on us. Almost every single one of us is equipped with technology in our pockets that gives us the ability to record each other at just about every waking moment of our lives. But interestingly, You don't hear a lot of people complaining about this or protesting about it. They're not angry or tired of the way that we track one another. Instead, they kind of just go along with their days as if it's completely normal and doesn't need to change. And think of the many ways in which we're entertained by the idea that so many people are being watched and by the film of them doing things while they don't know that they're being watched. WDET recently produced a new podcast called Tracked and Traced, and it touches on these themes and more. It explores many different ways in which we are all being watched in and around our city right here in Detroit. But before we talk with WDET reporter Laura Herberg about her work with one of the podcast episodes, We want to play a clip from her reporting from the second episode, which is about Project Greenlight, an anti-crime surveillance system here in the city of Detroit. Can I get 10 on pump one and 15 on pump seven? Ishmael Sala is the manager of a mobile gas station in Detroit. Like most stations in the city, Sala rings up his customers from behind a wall of bulletproof glass. And that's just one of the safety measures taken here. The station is also a member of Detroit's Project Greenlight program. That means the business has upgraded its lighting and installed security cameras that feed directly into Detroit's police department. Signage and a flashing green light atop the mobile sign outside are meant to tell potential customers and criminals that the gas station is involved in the program. Installation of required cameras, signs, and lights cost business owners around $5,000. On top of that initial investment, businesses have to pay for high-powered Wi-Fi to transmit video. Sala says the expense has been worth it for the station, which joined Greenlight about five years ago. Before we have our problems, after we get this uh, service, the green light, and I've been asking my customers because I have to feel, you know, see how's the business running. And they say in there, you know, they, they can come anytime. Before a night, they, they'd be afraid, you know, but now uh, they're, they're happy. David Hunter is one of the happy customers. I feel real comfortable when I come to this gas station. It's my favorite one. What makes you feel comfortable? That we be a monitor. 24-7. Customer Keisha Johnson says she makes a point of patronizing this station. I feel safe when I come here with the green light. I know it's a green light, so I, I always come here to make sure I'm safe. 
One of the perks of joining the program is that police officers are meant to regularly stop by. When they do, they write their name in a special green light log. Sala shows me his. Uh, this is uh, our uh, green light folder. And uh, the, the police, they come and, and, and every day they come and check with us and see if you have any problems, any comments, anything. Page after page in the binder is filled with signatures from police officers. Since I get the, the service of, uh, from uh, Greenlight, uh, I've been asking a lot of, you know, I mean, telling my friends or managers to get that because it's safe, like I said. Have you had any issues since you joined Greenlight? I mean, since we have it, um, yeah, sometime, but uh, the police, they come right away. What were the crimes that you had to report after you got green light? Uh, actually, these uh, pictures here, like some of them, they did uh, some stealing. Solid gestures toward a handful of pictures of men and women, still images taken from surveillance footage. Handwriting on each says, wanted by order of Detroit police. Solace says thefts and other crimes still happen here, but he feels like incidents have decreased since the business joined Greenlight. On the other side of the intersection sits another gas station, this one in Exxon with a sandwich shop attached. The business doesn't have a green light. It's just across the street, but the clientele here seem like they're a world apart. Multiple customers and even a worker say they don't know what Project Greenlight is. This despite the fact that there are more than 700 properties with flashing green lights located in the city of Detroit. I find a customer who has heard of the program, Michael Sterling. He tells me he thinks Greenlight might be giving some patrons a false sense of security. The cameras, they don't matter in the city. People are gonna still do what they wanna do, besides if the camera's there or not. So if this was a green light, they'd still do what they wanna do. And what makes you say that? Because we're in the city, we're in Detroit, and it's up out here. According to the FBI, in 2019, the Detroit Police Department reported 280 murders. In 2020, that number rose to 328. Project Greenlight started in 2016 as a potential crime intervention tool. It originally targeted gas stations since they were seen as crime hotspots, but has since expanded to include fast food restaurants, churches, apartment buildings, and more. The video from these participating locations is pumped into a special area of Detroit's police headquarters, the Real-Time Crime Center. Um, so this is our Real-Time Crime Center of the Detroit Police Department. That's Tia Sakos, the executive manager of the Crime Intelligence Unit with the Detroit Police Department. She's showing me around the center. We've got different stations set up with um, computer setups that feed into the cameras. So you can see on all of the computers, we've got um, different Project Greenlight cameras up, different traffic cameras, mapping um, technology. We've got local news up on the TV walls in front of us. It's like a full wall of screens. It is, yes. It goes the length of the entire room up front, and then all the desks are kind of facing that so we can keep an eye on, on everything that we have. The police department wouldn't tell me how much the center costs, but reporting by the Detroit Free Press found the department has spent at least $12 million on it. The footage that ends up here can be viewed after an incident occurs to help solve a crime. But Sacco says the department also monitors footage in real time and has caught criminals in the act. She pulls up archival footage from an incident where this was the case. The video, taken from a gas station, shows a woman walking down the sidewalk holding a purse. Suddenly, a car pulls up with two guys in it. They are armed with weapons. They take, they take her possessions, and then we actually see the aggravated assault, the shooting. I mean, she, she collapses to the sidewalk and is, like, clearly injured here in this video. She was shot. Correct, she was. The woman survived. Sacco says the crime analysts who were watching the footage as the shooting occurred were able to send medical assistance for the victim, as well as to provide a description of the vehicle for officers, which helped them locate and arrest two suspects. It's kind of mind-blowing to think that real-time crime center analysts sitting here in this remote building were able to detect a crime elsewhere and intervene. That said, we don't know how often this happens. The Detroit Police Department was unable to tell me how common it is. But the department says Project Greenlight has multiple goals. It's not just about stopping crime as it happens. It's also about assisting with prosecuting crime and preventing it, too. 
There's data from the department and academics that suggests that Greenlight does help with prosecution. Cases involving crimes caught on video at Greenlight locations are more likely to close. But what about the prevention factor? Does Greenlight help reduce crime? Giovanni Circo is an assistant professor at the University of New Haven who specializes in crime analysis. He's one of a handful of researchers who worked on a 94-page document looking into the effectiveness of Project Greenlight. I should say some of the work he's done was paid for by a grant to do research in partnership with the Detroit Police Department. I asked Circo, does Greenlight reduce crime? Boy, so that's, that's a... A, a tough question, and so as a as an academic, I'm going to give you the <clears throat> my uh, my long winded answer. On the one hand, Circo says Greenlight has many positive attributes. From a perspective of making people feel safer, um, improving relationships between the between business owners and the police, I think that has been um, a good thing. But he says when it comes to specifically assessing Greenlight's effectiveness at preventing crime, the question is not so easy to answer. In this case, we can say maybe. Circo says the report found something that might sound surprising at first. If a location joined Project Greenlight, crime actually tended to go up, except for violent crime, which stayed about the same. Circo says this probably reflects an increase in crime reporting rather than an actual increase in incidents. I think for a long period of time, some of these minor crimes were just much less likely to be reported for a number of different reasons. So things like staffing, for example, or um, a feeling among business owners that if they called the police for a minor crime, like a shoplifting or a theft, for example, that the police wouldn't respond. But even with more crimes being called in or detected on video, Greenlight did appear to reduce the occurrence of one specific crime, carjacking. Yet ultimately, Circo says, the study could not conclude that Greenlight prevented crime overall. In terms of a a method that's going to um, definitively reduce crime, we don't necessarily have the evidence to say that Greenlight is... Um, particularly effective at that. I asked the same question, does Greenlight reduce crime, to Ian Severy, a captain with Detroit's Crime Intelligence Unit. He gave me a different answer. What we found is that for green locations that have become Greenlight, there's usually a lessened amount of crime that occurs at those areas. Can you elaborate on that a little more? Uh, well, <sighs> Yeah, I can help with that. So I don't think, like, in the police department that we look at numbers, because numbers can be manipulated at times, right? That second voice is Rudy Harper, a communications officer for the department. In case you didn't hear him, what he said was, I don't think in the police department that we look at numbers, because numbers can be manipulated at times. The department's inability to use data to support all of its claims about green light is just one of the reasons that it has some critics. I think residents need to be absolutely worried about Project Greenlight. That's John Sloan III, one of the leaders of the Detroit chapter of Black Lives Matter. Sloan, like many activists, is concerned about how Project Greenlight is used with facial recognition technology, software that identifies people from a picture. Facial recognition software is just largely uh, unpredictable in its ability to take race into account. And that what you can predict is the ways in which it will fail people with more melanin um, in their skin. A 2019 study by the U.S. government's National Institute of Standards and Technology found that false positive rates for facial recognition software are highest in African and East Asian people and lowest in Eastern Europeans. In other words, facial recognition is more likely to misidentify someone with darker skin. When I asked Captain Severy about the Detroit Police Department's use of facial recognition with Greenlight, at first, he said this. Project Greenlight does not use facial recognition. That's technically true, because Greenlight cameras don't have facial recognition embedded in them. But Severy did ultimately acknowledge that the Detroit Police Department takes still images from Project Greenlight footage and puts them into the department's facial recognition software. So yes, Greenlight footage doesn't use facial recognition, but facial recognition uses Greenlight footage. 
In a notorious blunder, the software was used with images taken from non-greenlight footage, so regular security footage, to wrongfully arrest a suburban Detroit man, Robert Williams, in 2019. The department says its policies have changed since then, and it now has to have evidence beyond a facial recognition software match to arrest someone. While facial recognition gets a lot of attention, it's just one of the things that activists take issue with in regards to Project Greenlight. Eric Williams is an attorney who works with the ACLU of Michigan and the Detroit Justice Center. He's mostly concerned with the surveillance aspect of Greenlight. I mean, there's a reason we have, you know, we require the police to have reasonable suspicion or probable cause before they go interfering with people, right? Williams believes government power left unchecked will be abused. That's why the U.S. has checks and balances, he says. With Project Greenlight, he feels like it allows police officers too much access to Detroit's mostly Black citizenry. Greenlight provides basically a people for law enforcement. Williams says Detroiters are allowing themselves to be surveilled in real time when they go into Greenlight businesses, under the premise that doing so will make their lives safer. But he reiterates, there's no strong evidence that Greenlight reduces crime overall. It's an expensive toy that doesn't really accomplish a whole hell of a lot other than place a burden on store owners to buy this bandwidth and a burden on taxpayers to support these real-time crime centers to build them and staff them. Williams would like to see the real-time crime center done away with, but that's not likely to happen. The center is a crown jewel in Detroit's public safety headquarters, and the department shows no sign of shutting it down. The program, at least for now, will persist. Some Detroiters will continue to go out of their way to fill up their gas at stations with flashing green lights, believing that doing so will keep them safer. Other residents will continue to go to whatever gas station is closest— not buying into the premise that surveillance could save their life. The police will likely continue to applaud the program, even though there's little documented evidence that it reduces crime overall. And all the while, surveillance will continue to increase in the blackest city in America. I'm Laura Herberg, WDET News. And Laura Herberg joins us now in the studio to talk about her report for Tracked and Traced. Laura, welcome. Hi, Stephen. Hey. So I, I want to drill down a little bit on some of the things that the Detroit police were saying in that report. I, I'm sitting here just kind of blinking my eyes very fast in astonishment at this line, the idea that they acknowledge, or at least indirectly, that green light isn't reducing crime, quote, by the numbers. But then they say, the numbers don't matter because numbers can be manipulated. Something that Detroit police have been accused of in the past by critics who, who feel like uh, they, they, don't, they don't count things that uh, would make the department look bad in terms of what the crime rate is or, or what it's, which, which, direct, which direction it's heading. I, I don't know that I've ever heard anyone with DPD turn that around and say, don't come at us with numbers. They aren't reliable. Yeah, um, I was pretty shocked by that response, too. I will say I'm not sure that they're acknowledging that green light doesn't reduce crime. As you heard in my piece, Captain Ian Severy said it does reduce crime. They just don't have the numbers to bring forward to support it. So it's kind of an interesting little uh, a conundrum there. Um, I will say there are things, as I touch on briefly in the piece, um, about green light that you could say, quote unquote, work. One thing is that um, it has been shown to help cases close um, more often and quicker. And one thing that Captain Ian Severy said to me that I wasn't able to put into the piece is that when they go to, when a crime occurs at a non green light business and they go to get the surveillance footage, if the owner or the manager or whoever has access to that footage 
isn't there, then they they don't get that footage right away. And so they aren't able to hit the ground running um, with that in their investigation. So you could see why with a green light business where they they automatically have that footage because it's fed into their real-time crime center, it does speed up uh, the case closure rate sometimes. Well, see, and I guess that was going to be the the next subject I wanted to talk about is, okay, so it it seems to me that there are two potential effects of something like Project Greenlight. One is the deterrent effect, right? You see that green light, you maybe think twice about committing a crime because you might be on camera. That's, That's the question of whether it's actually lowering the incidence of crime. But then on the back end, uh, the the question is, if somebody does commit a crime near these green lights on camera, are police better able and faster able to to solve the crimes? You seem to be suggesting that that actually is panning out in a different in a different way than the deterrent question. Yeah, there there is evidence that that green light is helping to close cases a little bit quicker. I think it was a number of, of days. I don't have that stat right in front of me. It was a, cases closed a few days quicker when crimes were caught on camera at green light stations. Um, and also they were slightly more often, although the the slides that were provided to me by the Detroit Police Department didn't indicate if if the the if there was a significance, if it was statistically significant the the um the rate at which it occurred uh, more often. They were able to solve crimes more often. Yeah. And and talk about the citizen reaction that's in your piece. It was kind of all over the place, right? There were people who were saying, "Eh, I don't love the idea of being on camera all the time. Other people said, I will only go to an establishment that has a green light for this kind of, uh, this kind of commerce because I feel safer. Green light is kind of popular in Detroit, is my impression. What 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 did you pick up? Yeah, green light's very popular. So I, I talked to obviously a lot more people than ended up in the piece, and most people either love it or were ambivalent. And um, actually, I was surprised that nobody I talked to brought up issues related to privacy or surveillance. Um, Sometimes when I would follow up with folks um, asking about that specifically, they would maybe go, oh, okay, now that you mention it, maybe I'm a little concerned. Um, But actually, it was kind of funny. The gentleman who ended up in the piece who said he loves being monitored 24-7, that's why he goes to that station. I remember I followed up with him and said, but don't you have any concerns about being surveilled? And he was like, I just told you. I love that I'm being surveilled 24-7. So... Um, most of the people I talked to really did see green light as a good thing. There was that young man I talked to at the non-green light station who um, felt like cameras aren't going to make a difference one way or another. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, when you talk to activists and some people who are paid to think about these kinds of things, they do have concerns. But that was not reflected in my reporting with the general public. Okay, when we come back, we are going to continue this conversation about the surveilled world that we live in, the cameras that are kind of everywhere in our lives, and how effective things like Project Greenlight are. Uh, We're going to keep Laura Herberg of WDET, and we're going to welcome Eric Williams, the managing attorney in the Detroit Justice Center's economic equity practice. He has been pushing for a few years for the elimination of Project Greenlight, which he sees as an incursion on people's civil liberties that doesn't reduce crime. We'll talk to him about why he thinks uh, Project Greenlight ought to go. We also want to hear from you on the phones. 313-577-1019. How do you feel about being watched? Do you care that you're being watched? Are you concerned how much government agencies watch us? Are you concerned how much maybe your neighbors are watching? Call and tell us how you feel about the level of surveillance we put up with in our modern lives. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today.
WDET is your connection to what's happening in Detroit. WDET is your place for open dialogue about the issues that impact you. Stay in the know. This is WDET FM, Detroit's NPR station. This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. Project Greenlight, which was noted in our previous segment, is one of the most significant city government programs here in Detroit. It does everything in its power to help the security apparatus of the city track and trace Detroit citizens. We are talking this hour about the surveillance that exists in our lives, the level of surveillance, the pervasiveness of surveillance, not just by government entities like uh, uh, the Detroit police, uh, but by private citizens. Our neighbors have cameras on their houses that record us. Businesses that we enter take pictures of us as we go in, as we shop, as we buy. For years now, Eric Williams of the Detroit Justice Center and like-minded groups, including the ACLU of Michigan, have been pushing to retire Project Greenlight, which is a very popular surveillance program in Detroit, uh, in hopes of preserving people's civil liberties. That is, they want to kill this eye in the sky. But it hasn't been an easy campaign. As I said, Project Greenlight is pretty popular in the city of Detroit, and Detroit police stand by it, saying that it is helping them solve crimes, and that even though they can't produce data to show it, they think it's helping to prevent crime as well. Eric Williams joins us now to talk more about Project Greenlight and the pervasive surveillance that we all live with. Eric Williams, welcome to Detroit Today. Morning, Stephen. How are you doing today? Great. Uh, and we also still have with us Laura Herberg of WDET, who has an episode uh, in the Tracked in Traced podcast that is about Project Greenlight. Uh, Eric, I want to start with you. You've been working on this issue for a while. Tell me about your concerns with Project Greenlight and how has the program changed over time and has your opinion of it grown more optimistic or more pessimistic as we've gotten further into uh, its operation? Well, I, I mean, <laughs> I, I was appalled by this program when it was first introduced back in, what, 2016 or so. And my primary concerns haven't been uh, alleviated, uh, have barely been addressed, to be perfectly honest. So it, there, there are so many things that are problematic with this program. I mean, if you, you could start with the fact that we're beginning this conversation with the recognition that the program actually doesn't decrease crime. It is impossible to have that conversation because our former chief uh, in particular and the mayor both consistently said that it did, despite the fact that there was never any evidence that it actually reduced crime. So it's always been an uphill battle when you have the administration essentially lie, which is, I mean, I hate to say it that way, but there's no other way to put it. In fact, Chief Craig, former Chief Craig at one point, said, uh, I feel it in my heart that it works. And that doesn't really seem like a good way, to, like a good basis for uh, this kind of program. Yeah, that's uh, not about my, data. Right. Yeah, not, not about data. And in, in any other instance, DPD is very enthusiastic about data. The other thing I would say is that this technology represents a problem that we frequently have, which is technology and the ability of the government to do something to intrude upon our private lives almost always is ahead of the laws that preserve this private space for ourselves, right? So it, it, there aren't laws to govern how this new technology uh, intrudes on our lives. And that's problematic. That's something that you hope will eventually get addressed, but we're talking, you know, a decade down the road. Um, Another large concern that I have is simply that we are spending money on a program that does essentially nothing for public safety. And we've spent, you know, probably close, well, I, we spent at least $20 million worth of public money on this. And if you ask Detroiters, you know, what would you do with $20 million? I don't think cameras will be high on that list. And so it really comes down to how do we perceive public safety? What is a realistic investment? of it 
And then finally, we are building a surveillance infrastructure. And these things are almost impossible to dismantle. And one of the things that we know for a fact is if you build a surveillance infrastructure, it will eventually be abused. Uh, they pulled, use spatial recognition to pull people out of Freddie Gray protests in, in Baltimore. You can look at COINTELPRO. You can look at the ghetto informant program. You can look at surveillance of Muslims in the aftermath of 9-11. Once you allow this kind of infrastructure to be built, it is only a matter of time before it is abused. Mm. Uh, so, Eric, what do you make of the DPD uh, assertion that even if set aside the question of deterrence, right, which is the, right. the big reason that they were putting these lights up around the city and these cameras, the question of solving crimes and being better able to solve crimes because you got video of what somebody did and to be able to solve those crimes crimes more quickly. Is that a value that we ought to put into the equation for, for deciding whether Project Greenlight works or not? So as, so as an initial matter, it's kind of funny that the notion of relying on tape for a program is so big for a program that is allegedly being monitored live, right? I mean, that's kind of funny in and of itself. Um, but I think that the problem is, one, any improvement in case closure is, is as uh, Laura was saying, is we haven't shown that it's statistically significant. I would also say that if you really want to make sure you had better camera footage, you could simply mandate that stores, gas stations and the like have better cameras. I mean, one of the advantages that Greenlight provides is that it gives increased lighting high-definition cameras, which a lot of stores don't have. I mean, the cameras and the like that they have really aren't um, really aren't high-definition. So to the extent there's an advantage is simply because we're talking about better cameras. But if you wanted that, there are less intrusive and less problematic ways to obtain that. But we're not even sure for real that there actually is uh, any advantage in, in, in green light uh, cameras when it comes to, to this kind of thing. So, you know, and I don't think it's really worth putting into the equation until we can prove what its value is. Hmm. Uh, so, Laura Herberg, I, I want to have you react just a little to what uh, Eric is saying here and, and put it in the context of what you heard from Detroiters about this, not just DPD, but from Detroiters themselves. Do they, do they express these same kinds of concerns? Generally, no. As I, as I said before, of course Detroiters are concerned about safety um, in terms of how to best achieve that. I think there is a big divide. I mean, in my uh, initial reporting that I did on Greenlight back in 2016, I followed um, a number of community groups that would get together and would um, protest that their neighborhood gas station adopt Greenlight. So, um, as I said before, there really is a lot of community support. But um, I can't remember, Eric, if it was you when I interviewed you for the story or if it was John Sloan. But um, one of one of the two of you said, you know, that might be there might be an education issue. There might be um, a gap in really understanding fully um, what's going on with Project Greenlight. And because the um, police department has repeatedly insisted that green light works that is what the general public's understanding is that that green light does reduce crime and that it does keep them safer again um, despite the fact that there isn't um, evidence that green light reduces crime overall yeah so so eric what is it what what value do we assign to that feeling that people have Detroiters, not DPD, but Detroiters themselves, that this makes things a little bit better, a little bit safer. So it, it's it's really problematic. I mean, we have to say that, I mean, we have to begin this conversation with acknowledging that Detroit does have an issue with crime, right? I mean, this, this is not the safest city in America. So you have to begin from the fact that 
people who are who want green light to work are people who are legitimately concerned about crime. I don't want to assign any ulterior motive to that. They want to be safe. At the same time, I think it is, I don't think it's unreasonable for us to, to insist that when the <laughs> that when our government is spending money on a program, that they be honest about what the program can actually accomplish. It is very difficult to get people to reject a program that they are being constantly told makes them safer, despite the fact that's not true, right? And we keep saying there's no evidence for it, there's no evidence for it. At a certain point, when you say there's there's no evidence, this isn't no evidence in the absence of, of a study. This is after examining it, we can find no evidence. What you're really saying is it doesn't, right? And so when, the, when you have the mayor and you have the chief of police consistently telling you something that is in conflict with the actual facts, right? It's difficult for it's difficult for for the facts to actually be you know accepted by people. And, and until our, and until we have the administration be upfront, this is something that's going this is something that's going to keep happening. I really don't know how you can overcome that other than doing what we're doing now, which is making the point that we are spending you know tens of millions of dollars on a program that isn't that isn't making us safer. Okay, when we come back, we're going to continue this conversation about surveillance and Project Greenlight in particular with Eric Williams and Laura Herberg. We will also get to your comments on the phone and on social media. Kisa in Detroit, Aaron and Jefferson Chalmers, Bernadette in Old Redford, Mark and Allen Park. You'll be up first. Uh, if you want to join them, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phone. So that's 313-577-1019. We've also got a number of social media comments. If you want to go to Facebook or Twitter, you can put them there, and uh, we can try to include you as well. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. Thanks for tuning in. We're talking this hour about the extent to which our lives are documented, recorded by cameras uh, installed by the government, installed by businesses, installed by our neighbors in many cases. Uh, we're also talking specifically about Project Greenlight, a widespread surveillance system here in the city of Detroit in which businesses agree to uh, use their camera footage in conjunction with Detroit police to help stop and solve crimes. The question is, how well does that work? And even if it does work, are we giving up too much of the bubble of civil liberty that ought to exist around all of us in order for that to take place? We want to hear from you as well during the conversation. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Facebook or Twitter, put comments there, and uh, we'll work you into the conversation. Our guests are Laura Herberg, a reporter here at WDET. Uh, she has a new story as part of the Tracked and Traced podcast about Project Greenlight. Uh, also with us is Eric Williams. He is a managing attorney in the Detroit Justice Center's economic equity practice. He has been a longtime critic of Project Greenlight and has been trying to get the city to get rid of it and other kinds of uh, surveillance that it is engaged in. Uh, I want to start today with uh, some social media comments. Um, uh, Carl says, the nice thing about Project Greenlight is the flashing light. You know which gas stations are using it, so you are in control of being surveilled. I'm much more concerned about involuntary surveillance like ring doorbells or cell phones where I don't know that I am being recorded. Uh, Michael on Twitter says, it's not all Project Greenlight, but isn't the vast majority of downtown Detroit surveilled by cameras 24-7? Business owners here have said they have seen property damage to vehicles decline as a result. So there seems to be some real deterrence 
to that crime. He wants to know what our thoughts are about that. Um, uh, I want to go now to the phones. Let's start with Kisa in Detroit. Kisa, what's on your mind? Hey, uh, thank you for having me this morning, Steve. Um, I'm mm-hmm. calling because I have lived next door and down the street from two different green light locations for a few years. And the liquor store that I live literally right next door to, um, they have a green light location uh, situation set up. And I noticed that there are guys at that location and at the gas station down the street that has a green light camera where they they sell drugs and the owners like of these uh, establishments allow them to. So I'm sure like if there are young people listening to this, you know, like if, uh, if there's a guy like at the, at the store, at the gas station who's selling weed or some other drugs, like they'll say like, oh, I got a dime bag or oh, I got that loud. And they'll say that to you and then you just, you know, ignore them if you don't, you know, of course, want to buy any. But I say that because you see this happening at green light locations. And I've even mm. seen uh, days where I've gone into the liquor store and DPD officers have been behind the counter with the owners, like fraternizing with them. And I'd be thinking, you know, there are guys that drugs up here and you would think that dpd i don't know would have something to say about that but they're just fraternizing <laughs> with these owners so I, I i offer that you know to folks who think that you know great green light is somehow protecting us when really it's, it's almost as if like you know they're they're the owners of these establishments are just getting a bit more brash about what they allow knowing that i don't know if something happens <laughs> you know they can catch people but hmm. i just i just i just wanted to offer that as well yeah, Kisa, I really appreciate. Uh, I really cre- appreciate the call and and the comments. I mean, that's a really great first person account of how you see it working, or I guess in this case, not working uh, in in your community. Thanks very much for calling and sharing that. Um, let's next go to Mark in Allen Park. Mark, what's on your mind? Hi. Hi, uh, thanks for uh-huh. taking my call. Uh, mm-hmm. I think this is a great show, Lawrence, and extra. Uh, Extra good job on this. And uh, my son, uh, I just want to give you this as an insight of how this doesn't really work. Is My son had a house in Southwest, and he was renovating it, and it was someone started a fire, an arsonist. And uh, he put up cameras, and this house was lit on fire four times. The yeah. second time, the guy came up with a can of gas, looks right dead in the camera from a foot away and pours gasoline, decides it's fake, I guess, and pours gasoline on through the windows and all over the porch and lights it on fire and walks away. It happened two more times. The house next door was burned. The one next door to that was burned. The one down the street was burned. And this is in southwest Detroit. Mm-hmm. So we gave the footage to the uh, arson investigators. The man lived in the neighborhood, seen numerous times, and it's hard for a victim of a crime to get any information. But uh, as far as we know, the police have never proceeded with any prosecution, and it's been over a year, maybe two years now. So, Wow. Uh, yeah, uh, Mark, I'm really I mean, I'm really sorry about that, first of all, for your son and, and his house. I mean, that's not that is not a reasonable level of uh, of crime to have to deal with <clears throat> in, in any neighborhood. Um, but I'm also a little mystified, I guess, that uh, the police in this case didn't follow up on, on um you know, evidence that that you gave them. Uh, Laura Herberg, uh, talk about the ways in which DPD uh, talks about, um, you know, these kinds of criticisms. And and we hear them frequently in Detroit that um, that even with the amount of surveillance that exists, there there isn't the same kind of vigilance in doing something about it that you might expect would make a bigger difference. Well, yeah, I, I, I want to address some of the things um, that we've heard from your callers uh, and uh, the social media. One is that um, ring cameras and the like, those also can be used for facial recognition. So I just mm-hmm. want to make that clear. And in this instance that um, Mark uh, is talking about, um, that camera potentially, even though it's not a green light camera, could be used for facial recognition. Um, 
I don't have the full definition in front of me, but I want to say that because uh, facial recognition was misused in the past, it can now only be used for a part one violent crime. I'm sure Eric can help me out on this one, which is <laughs> only a certain number. Uh, it's like rape, murder. Um, right. And, and so I don't think arson is on that list off the top of my head because I was wondering, I wonder if they would have used um, facial recognition in that instance. Um, one more thing is that when I was talking to Giovanni Circo, the researcher who worked on the Greenlight study, we were just talking kind of about the effects of cameras in general. And he mentioned that, you know, in the UK, they heavily used um, CCTV, closed circuit television, and they really haven't found, studies there have not found that that prevents crime. So when I'm hearing this anecdote about an arsonist seeing the camera and, and looking up at it and still going ahead, that's in line with data that shows that camera presence in general, outside of the green light system, um, typically doesn't reduce crime. Mm. So, so, Eric, I want to ask you about um, the, the question of transparency, I guess, with, with all of this, which I, I know is another one of your concerns. <laughs> but it, it, it seems that, that the two calls we had really do get to that issue. And, and, and it's, you know, it's a question of how responsive our crime-fighting authorities and efforts are to the citizens who, who who live in this city and the kind of things that people feel like they can't really figure out or get answers to that have to do with uh, with this kind of surveillance. So, yeah, and, and, and that is an issue. And let me say that, let me say this, I don't have, I'm not going to really dog DPD. My father retired as a lieutenant after 17 years of the force. My son is currently a police officer in South Lawrence, New Jersey. So mm-hmm. I don't, it's, it's, I'm not out here ripping law enforcement. What I do want to say though, is that we do, is that DPD does not do a very good job of letting people know how money is, how money is spent when it comes to these things. I mean, think about how all these conversations are talking about tape, right? When the selling point about this is apparently our live monitoring. Right. And you don't I have yet to hear anybody say there's a benefit from this live monitoring, which is the most expensive component, actually, of of this whole program, particularly for the for the store owners. I would also say, for example, um, this lack of transparency goes across the board. For example, the facial recognition uh, uh, policies that were put into place several years after facial recognition started being used um, requires that the uh, that there be a report issued to the Board of Police Commissioners saying how often it was used, et cetera, et cetera. And then the Board of Police Commissioners are supposed to put that up so it's available on their website. The most recent one is like nine, 10 months old, right? Wow. So even, even the legally mandated uh, disclosure that's supposed to be taking place isn't taking place. So there's very little oversight. Transparency is an issue, but until we demand it, we're not going to see it because it's been DPD and uh, the uh, oversight board, uh, board of police commissioners, have made it very clear that they really aren't that concerned with providing, uh, with providing the information that we would need to honestly evaluate this program and surveillance in general in the city. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's take another phone call. Uh, Aaron and Jefferson Chalmers. Aaron, we only have a couple minutes left, but uh, go ahead. Good morning. In my opinion, one of the most controversial aspects of Project Greenlight is that it has been advertised as a what is essentially a legal protection racket outside of the camera aspect. When businesses sign up and pay their premium, part of the package is that the business will be placed on a priority list and that the police say they will respond faster to 911 calls. And I wonder why businesses should have to pay a premium for extra police protection. Huh. That's a really great point, uh, Aaron. Uh, Eric, I know this is one of your your issues too. <laughs> is there another way to do this that would that would? I mean, you're talking both about the the cost of this to taxpayers, but there's also this this cost to businesses to be, to be part of this. Uh, is there another way to think about how you'd fund this so that it would be fair? So that is clearly an issue. But it's, it's interesting to note that in the actual agreement that they have with the store owners, DPD says that they're under no obligation to ever monitor the cameras 
and only have to make best efforts to monitor the cameras in the case of a 911 call. Uh, what this actually means in terms of 911 response is kind of unclear because DPD will repeatedly say, we're not prioritizing calls from, um, from green light stations. But at the same time, they say, oh, we're giving them priority as, as your caller sort of noted. So uh, it's clearly a problem. I, but it's difficult to tell exactly what the problem is simply because the messages that we're getting are conflicting. On the one hand, they say they don't do it. On the other hand, they say they do. And the agreement that they signed says, well, you know, maybe. Well, right. I, I, I did ask uh, the police about this for my story, and they did mm-hmm. admit to me that they um, prioritize uh, businesses uh, who are green light. That is one of the selling points. But they said, you know, they would never prioritize. They use the example of if someone's stealing chips and there's a murder, you know, the, the green light customer is going to have to wait over the um the the higher level crime incident and also i asked them specifically if it's pay to play then and their response was well the the businesses aren't paying us to for green light they're not paying the detroit police department they're paying for cameras and lighting and stuff like that but that they're not directly paying the police department so therefore it's not pay to play was their response hmm. Okay, uh, Eric Williams and Laura Herberg, uh, great conversation. Thanks so much to both of you for being here. Of course. Yeah. Pleasure. And you can check out uh, Tracked and Trace, the new WDET podcast at WDET.org. Okay, that is going to do it for us this week. Come back on Monday when we're going to be talking with the author of the book Rooted, which explores how our lives are always intersected with the nature around us. Detroit Today is produced by Jake Neer and Sam Corey. Our program director is Joan Isabella. Technical director and engineer is Matthew Trevethan. And Detroit Today's music is created by Sam Bobian and Will Sessions. This is 1019 WDETFM, Detroit's NPR station. Your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again on Monday.